Sonic State Watchdog. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sonic Talk number 178. We're recording live today uh, on the 16th of June, Wednesday, 2010. We are actually using a new system. We're streaming live via, via Ustream. This is me on camera waving. It seems to be holding up. And uh, we're using the chat room. It seems to be because we've been previously using Shoutcast and a free uh, Flash IRC client. And it just the latency was like 50 seconds or so, which is just not very real time for interaction. So now it's down to under 10 seconds as far as I can tell so I think this is this could be the future it just depends on how many people um, dig this method or don't um, so perhaps let me know there is a poll on the live stream that people can tell me so anyway Sonic Talk number 178 welcome to all our live guests and also welcome to our local guests uh, we'll start with uh, Mark Tinley we haven't spoken to him for a little while how are you doing Mark? Hello I'm okay good um, and as I said not dead no, well, you woke up with a uh, with a dead arm and thought you had a stroke, right? Oh, well, I did wonder. Yeah, I can understand. Taste. They don't happen very often, do they, those things? And it's a bit shocking when it does. Oh, I'm all right, actually. It's a lovely sunny day here. I've been out on the motorbike already, frightened the whole of Biggleswade. That was oh, really? Fun. Have you got the big, uh, um, the big mean hog on the road? Yeah, I, I had, to, had to make up some reason to go and ride it because I can never really sort of... I don't know, I just don't get into this idea of just riding around in circles for no apparent reason. So I had to sort of ask Gina if she wanted something from the shop, and she said, yes, she wanted a bag of crisps. <laughs> so I went to the shop, On the bought big. some crisps, and then rode around the town watching my reflection in all the big, you know, uh, panes of glass in all the uh, shop fronts, and grinning to myself, revved it up a few times, made a few people jump, and then came home again. <laughs> Excellent. You're like the masked um, marauder on the motorcycle. Anyway, Mark, glad, yeah, to, uh, glad to have you aboard. Where are we pointing people these days at your URL? Uh, likebeing.com, please. Likebeing.com. Okay, that's where you can see what Mark's up to. And uh, we'll also say hello to uh, Dave Spears from G4 Software uh, uh, while we're on this side of uh, the Atlantic. How are you doing, Dave? Hello. I'm all right. G4software.com. Dot com. So I downloaded um, the build of the Imp2 yesterday and uh, been playing around with it sounds absolutely gorgeous i have to say so good i'm looking forward to the final finalness of it but we won't go on about that yeah so am i i've also got a uh, dave smith mofo keyboard with me arrived yesterday i put up a little unboxing video yesterday and i had an enormous amount of comments and questions about it so um, i've got my work cut out to uh, actually Keep everybody happy with that review. <laughs> it's going to be, take a lot of work. Anyway, welcome uh, g4software.com for your Dave Spear needs. Um, and we'll also say hi to Rich Hilton from sunny Connecticut. Uh, Rich is a uh, <clears throat> studio engineer, live player, internationally renowned, uh, just back from uh, a, a jaunt in Europe with Sheik. How are you doing, Rich? Doing real well, thanks. Real well. Good. Uh, jet lag's finished now. I guess it's been a, more than a week, hasn't it? So. Yeah, I'm so good. You must be back back on the block. Anyway, good to have you aboard, Rich. Uh, and uh, we've also got a new guest um, uh, in the form of Joe Zobkew, who is from Earsmack Music. Uh, Earsmack make uh, an iPad app, and that's how I first signed about because I used the iPad app um, to generate some audio into the Korg Monotron review I recently did. And Joe contacted me via the comments saying, hey, cool, you know, thanks for using our app. And I thought, you know, it just seemed to be one of those natural connections. So Joe's very kindly come in on his lunch break. Um, um, where he is in North Carolina, um, to join us for the show. How are you doing, Joe? 
Very well. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for uh, having me on. You're more than welcome. I thought actually we could probably start with just a little bit of a, a Q and A with you because uh, you're the you're the newcomer here, and um, we're kind of I'm sort of intrigued about the whole iPad iPad thing. Is this the only ad, um, app app you've done for this platform, or have you done other ones? Uh, for the iPad, this is the first app I've done. I've done a couple uh, uh, apps on the iPhone. One called Tongue Drum, which is a um, an iPhone version of a tongue drum, if you're familiar with that. Yeah, yep, I know the tongue drum. Yeah, um, and then I did a uh, a silly little app for uh, for my kids called Fun Socks, which uh, is uh, not worth talking about. <laughs> well, but it's probably is it the one that's done the most well? Uh, it's free, and yes, it has. Amazingly <laughs> enough, it's done. The, it's done the best. Just, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this. I mean, obviously, we'll, we'll have to talk off camera a little bit because um, I'm quite interested in the whole iPad uh, app thing, just purely from you know Sonic State's content point of view. How how much of an involved process is it? I mean, let's forget about the you know the approval and all of that side of things. What's the sort of is it is it a nightmare or is it kind of straightforward from a programming point of view? Um, so I've been programming computers since like 1986 or so, um, music software since then in various forms and capacities and been a Mac programmer that whole time. So I sort of have that history behind me. Uh-huh. Um, I will say that the SDK for what's now called iOS, but basically for the iPhone and the iPad, very well thought out, you know, very, um, uh, very complete. There's a lot of things that you can do as is obvious just by looking at some of the applications that are out there and available. Um, it's a little tricky, you know, for a lot of people wrapping their head around the whole Objective C uh, thing and learning the frameworks that are necessary. Yeah. But once you know a lot of the, the secrets um, and a lot of the really low level audio stuff, um, that sort of voodoo magic, yeah. um, it's, it's, it's almost not rocket science. You know, uh, once you get that stuff under your belt uh, and get some code together that works uh, in that way, playing back audio, you know, doing envelopes, filtering, what have you, um, it's actually pretty easy to piece things together and amazingly quick sometimes. Uh, A feature that I have coming out in the next version of ChipPad, which I hope to submit to the App Store in a day or two, um, I really thought it was going to take me about a month to implement. Oh, and right. I slept on it. I slept on it for about a week, and it literally took about two days to implement. Wow, that um, sounds... and that's a t- yeah, that's a testament to the SDK and the capabilities that are in these devices. So what? What? What's it like? I mean, I guess the other big um, obstacle to this kind of thing is, you know, you may have an idea for an app, but figuring out whether there's enough resources available on the machine to be able to present, prevent you to provide you with the computing power to do that is that something that's hard to figure out or is that fairly straightforward also um to be honest with you i have not run into uh, any cpu issues yet and and if you look at like an app like there's an app called uh Jesudo pro for the iphone uh, yeah. i forget the the name of the uh, developer but great little you know synthesizer type app almost like turbo synth back in the day or kind of like a mini max msp if you will um, that app has a CPU monitor in it, and if you were to take that app and throw a patch together, yeah. you can get a really good idea of, of the, the little amount of CPU that some really complex patches um, and audio manipulation under the hood 
you know, end up using. So these, the, the iPad and the iPhone are just so powerful that personally I've not run into any issues where I've had to, uh, tone back my code. You know, I obviously optimize, but, um, it hasn't been an issue for me. And I know a lot of people write an audio code that really haven't had much of an issue either. That sounds. I mean, it's it because that's the thing that's kind of got me about it. I haven't had. I mean, I haven't been tra- taxing it very hard, but uh, there are just some very cool things that can be done. I mean, the other thing I was going to ask you is, you know, what's the what when you've submitted it to Apple? Is there usually a kind of fixed period for, before it turns around? So, say, you know, if we did our own app, how long would we have to wait, say, before we would expect to see it in the world? So, obviously, there's been a lot of talk about that, and it's fluctuated over time, but. Um, as of uh, more or less right now, Apple actually has a status uh, on one of their developer web pages, and I believe some of the latest numbers—they're in the high ninety percent of apps of new apps are released in the first week. So if you have a new app and you submit it today, there's a ninety-five percent chance that it'll be released in a week, assuming there's no glitches or crashes or problems that you know need to be resolved. Um, and updates are slightly above that. I think they were like 97 or 98%. So when I re- uh, submit this update uh, for ChipPad, um, I would expect within probably five to seven days, assuming there's no issues, uh, oh, it'll pretty, find its that's way. That's pretty cool. And, and tell me, I mean, because obviously you're working in this kind of real-time audio realm. Um, have you looked at the opportunity to figure out uh, – um, whether or not we might be able to access kind of uh, audio interfaces and other devices plugged into the port. Because I know, like, for instance, I've just done a review of the Line 6 uh, MIDI mobilizer, and I'm told that some class-compliant USB audio devices will work with the iPad if you plug them in and you can actually use them. You know, some, some applications will look for an alternative I.O. and just go, yeah, I'll use that instead. Do you know anything about that? Because that's something that it probably interests a lot of us from an audio perspective. Most definitely, and I'm and I'm waiting for some of that hardware to become available. the The issue that I found um, with the MIDI mobilizer, and I contacted Line Six about you know getting that SDK and whatnot. Um, they are more than happy to give developers the SDK uh, to have them write applications that use that. Um, the issue comes in, and my information I haven't read the Apple agreement in about a month so things may be changing or uh, I'm hoping they will change if they haven't already part of the problem is that there's um, some verbiage in the Apple agreement that states that the maker of the hardware needs to be the publisher of the software and so what would have ended up having to happen if 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 I wrote an application for the iPad or iPhone or whatever that used say the MIDI mobilizer yeah. Um, I would essentially have to have line six manage publishing that on the app store. And although I don't know all the details about uh, it, you know, there's a lot of issues. There's, you know, how would I go about updating the description? Do I need to go through line six? How would I go about submitting an updated application? Um, managing the financials, you know, being able to look up daily reports right. of who purchased my app and whatnot. So, I, I'm not quite sure how, if Apple has ways of getting around that, so sort of the, the actual developer can still get in and look at that information, or if I would have to then go through line six 
to get to right. that information. That sounds so like it's unclear a, and a bit, a bit, a bit difficult to kind of fathom out. Mm, that's interesting because they they are very big on the fact that you have to provide all your own software, aren't they? So either that, or they'd have to let you have a dr- version of the driver that you could call your very own somehow. Right. And, that, and mm. that's the stuff, you know, for a small developer like me, I mean, I, I do iPad stuff on my own time. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's fun, it's exciting, and that's why I do it. Um, and for someone like me, it's, it's just an extra stumbling block um, to kind of use uh, the MIDI mobilizer in this instance. But my hope would be that that rule will be relaxed over time. And then once it is, if it is, and once an audio interface comes out, you know, look out because the potential for applications on this platform, I think, are just huge. I mean, we do talk about iPad and certainly mobile computing to a certain degree here because it's it's a sort of fix. It looks like feels like we're on the edge of something really big, and also the way that um, that these multi-touch devices is opening up interface design and just the way we think about interacting with things. It's kind of there's feels like we're the on the verge of something kind of quite big. And I, I don't know. Do you develop uh, for Android as well, or is that something that um, you're not interested in? Um, I've I've had people try to convince me to do that, and. To be honest with you, if the iPhone didn't exist, I would totally be doing Android work right now. Um, but I'm kind of ingrained, you know. I my blood runs in six colors, all that stuff. So uh, I'm kind of devoting my time to the iPhone at this time. Right. Okay. So, um, anybody want to fire in with any questions for Joe? Um, I'm, you know, the the I don't know if you're familiar with the ChipPad uh, app is as a great musical kind of. It's how would you describe it? Maybe if you describe it first, then it'll give people a little more um, of an idea of what we've been talking about. Put it in some context. Sure. So you can see screenshots at earsmack.com um, as I talk. Um, if you go to earsmack.com, um, but basically, uh, real short backstory. About a year ago, I really started getting into the whole concept of the monome, uh, which is that little, you know, 64 button box and different sizes now, but it's a USB device and you can write Max MSP software for it and all this great stuff and this little box with buttons and lights. And, uh, as I got into that and got into Max MSP a little more, there's an application called MLR, which was written by Brian Crabtree, who's one of the, one of the developers of the monome device. Um, it's just a great app. It's a sample cutting, sample chopping app. You have multiple tracks and you can, you know, you, you mash the buttons and it kind of jips and jabs all over the place in the, uh, in the audio file, kind of like buffer shuffler in Ableton live. If, if that rings a bell. Yep, yep. So anyway, as I was looking for, uh, you know, the iPad was coming out, I was looking for an idea and I said, you know, that's a really neat app and, and that would really go well, I think on the iPad cause you could extend it. Um, to more than just what you can do with the, with the hardware box. So I kind of used that as my, um, my inspiration and uh, went ahead and wrote this eight-track, stereo eight-track application. Uh, each track you load a uh, mono or stereo sample into, and then you can split that sample up into up to 128 discrete units or steps um, one of the tracks becomes the master track or the clock, if you will. Yeah. And then you can just kind of go crazy. You bring them in and out. Uh, you can glitch it up, you know, where you move your finger and slide your finger around the screen and get all that great, you know, kind of crazy, uh, you know, uh, uh, 
Autocray, is that how you say yeah, that yeah. band's name? Uh, you know, style stuff. And, and it's just a lot of fun. Um, so it's kind of like, I call it a live glitchy multi-touch loop performance application, whatever that means. That sounds like a pretty good <laughs> description of it. Um, I don't know if you saw in the chat room, um, Joe was asking about how much is built into the APIs versus how much you need to write yourself with regards to filters, envelopes, sample handling, oscillators, et cetera, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so um, the um, there's multiple levels of audio APIs on the iPad, and I've pretty much touched on them all and realized I basically need to be at the lowest and therefore most complex one. Um, there was a guy named Michael Tyson um, from atastypixel.com who he had an app called Loopy on the iPhone, and he deserves some props because he, he did a lot of the early work figuring out a lot of this really low-level remote IO it's called um, audio code that is needed on these on the iPhone and iPod uh, iPad uh, platform in any case um, when it comes to envelopes filters sample handling oscillators you basically need to write it all yourself right okay. um, remote IO and the very low level audio API um, basically just gives you sample uh, buffer callbacks you you write a function that gets called back um when the hardware needs samples and you provide the samples as quickly and in any way that you can um the really beautiful thing about it though is it supports the audio unit mechanism not audio units like vsts but audio unit as in you can patch together mixers and and you know multiple tracks and different things like that on on the ios device um so you get a lot of great stuff for free all the mixing capabilities and everything Uh but you still need to be able to supply the the raw samples um, you know with your envelope filter and everything applied all right. Well, it sounds like it's a great world to to inhabit at the moment because it's the, the fact that you can actually write something and almost kind of publish it. it. It's it's not too far off the the creative cycle of perhaps doing kind of web pages and web development. You know, it's only a week or something. That's kind of pretty. That's pretty exciting. And then see how it works. It must be very rewarding. It it very much is. Yeah, and you're exactly right. You know, having such a a small device that you just have, you know, your laptop and this iPad and you can create this great application that then in this case, other musicians can use, or, you know, different people can just go grab it instantaneously, download it, use it, send you an email telling you how they love it or hate it. Um, it's just a really neat environment. Um, you know, kind of in line really with the whole social thing that's been happening over the last few years. Um, you know, Twitter goes along great for a guy like me, who's just writing these apps uh, and trying to get feedback and, you know, trying to put something useful out there. Mm. Anybody else want to chip in before we start tackling some of our other topics? Is anybody still oh, there? Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, okay. Well, mm-hmm. in that case, am I still there? You're all still, still here. Oh. You're all still here. <laughs> Sorry, Ted, can you hear me? Yes, I can. I can hear you too. You're not, you're not dead yet. Tr- no, you didn't. <laughs> I was trying to ask a question and I was muted. Oh, no. <laughs> Don't... Um, can I ask you a question about the divisions? I noticed, I noticed as you were uh, on your video, as you were, uh, as you were demonstrating it, that when you pulled down and broke the, the width of the screen, let's say, into steps, that there were 
numbers other than 16, 12, and 24, and 32 in there, like 13 and 17. And I got quite right. excited by that, and I just wanted to know how that worked, because I've always wanted a device that I could easily set one time division off against another one, and I kind of wonder if that's possible, or what that's for, or um, um, how that might be able to work. Yes, it's definitely possible. So I, I put the most common um, uh, values in the menu so they're visible all the time. You know, one, two, three, four, six, eight, all the way up to one twenty-eight. Um, but then below that, it basically goes from one through one twenty-eight, um, inclusive every number. So you can have any track set to any division you like. So 17, 13, 28, you know, 74, it's totally up to you. And one of those tracks becomes uh, the master track, uh, and that's the little white line. If you're looking at a screenshot, there's a little white line going, kind of moving across one of the tracks. And everything is quantized to the steps as that track, the master track, defines them. So if your master track has four steps, then your quantize is quarter notes, for example. Um, yeah. If your master track has 17 steps, it's, that's the quantize. Um, but yeah, it's totally – one thing in chip pad that I kind of wanted I, – I, I've been trying to do things slightly differently than I might write them for a mainstream application. So chip pad knows nothing about tempo. Um, it's sort of okay, assumed cool. that it's assumed that if you're using loops, you don't have to use loops, but if you're using loops, that they'll all be chopped up. One loop might be four times the size of the other. One might be two times the size, but they're all relatively, you know, they'll work in a looping situation. Um, so that's why I just decided, you know, you throw a track in there, you set it to be the master track, you split that audio up however you want, um, stepwise. And that sort of becomes the, the tempo keeper. Um, otherwise, there's no, there's no tap tempo. You don't have to say 120 beats per minute. It all just sort of magically figures it out. Oh, cool. Can I, so could I have one thing? Could I have one master track that was split into 16th notes and then something underneath it split into 17th notes and then something underneath that split into 13th? Yes. And while you're playing, you can actually change the master track on the fly. So you can have the 16th uh, note ma uh, track be the master. And then at some point, anytime you go to the edit page and just tap the little clock icon for the track that you want to become the master. And it immediately uh, maps it out properly and figures out where it would be in that track. And that all of a sudden, now all of a sudden you're dealing with 17ths instead of 16ths or however you want to work it out. Um, there's also mute groups, which kind of would allow you to expand this. So you could have uh, some tracks in, you know, 16, 17, 18, and then other tracks in 32, 35, 38, and as soon as you play those other tracks, they, they mute the previous tracks that are playing. So there's a, there's a really, you know, it's a bit of a toolkit for experimental stuff, I think, in a way as yeah, well. Yeah, it sounds mm, really sounds cool. I mean, I, because I tried to do that with Sony's Acid, but it's such a long-winded process to break things up and then re-loop them and then bring them back in and all that. I want something I can just click on and try different things out and just switch, you know, 
time steps and see what happens. Exactly. One thing that I'll say, and, and this is sort of the way the iPad shares files. Um, Nick, you may have covered this at some point in one of your uh, one of your videos, but the way the iPad shares files with applications is you actually have to use iTunes. So you would get ChipPad on an iPad, you'd sync it with your computer, and then in iTunes, um, I believe it's the Apps tab, there's um, a section near the bottom where all your apps that allow file sharing are listed, and ChipPad is sitting there. And you basically take your AIF or WAV files, drag them into that list, and then they're immediately copied over to the iPad, uh, and then okay. ChipPad has access to them. So it's, it's a tiny bit convoluted. It's not a simple you know, mounting on the desktop drag and drop um, in that you have to use iTunes. But once you do it a couple times, it's super easy and uh, you know, quick to get, okay. your, get your raw files in there. Oh, fantastic. I mean, um, thank you very much for that information. I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to do the show, the, the show sponsor ad now, and then maybe after, when we come back, I can uh, I can introduce some of our other topics, unless anybody's got any other deeper questions they want to ask. So uh, we'd like to say thank you very much indeed uh, for the show sponsors at yamaha.co.uk. Um, they are doing a number of things that I think you should know about. Um, there's the newsletter that they run, which is uh, yamahadownload.com. Um, the podcast is on hold at the moment. There's a lot of interesting information that they put on their newsletter. They also want you to uh, take a look at the CP pianos. Uh, Their new CP CP pianos are pretty special. They use spectral component modelling and uh, what Yamaha are encouraging you to do through us is to go to your nearest store and check them out because uh, it's all well and good checking them out on the internet and uh, having a look at a few videos and what have you but you, to, to really get the feeling of these these instruments you need to be able to play them and so if you want to get over to your dealer and try out one of the CPs, you'll f- I think you'll find that the action and the, the actual sound quality and the playability and the durability of these things is really something special. So that's the CP1, CP5 and CP50 stage pianos all with spectral component model and they all have slightly different feature sets uh, the cp1 being the uh, the flagship it looks very nice in shiny black and chrome thing we saw it at um, nam i think i shot a great video with a guy who was running us through the sounds a great player you should check that out i'll try and put the link in the show notes but in the meantime if you want to get over to the yamaha and check out the the newsletter the best way to do that is to go sonicstate.com forward slash yamaha that way they'll know where you came from and everything all joins up nicely anyway we'd like to thank yamaha very much for their continued sponsorship of the show Right, guys, um, let's take a look. This, this was the, the, the titled The Dream Where You Have No Trousers On. Now, um, we're probably all familiar, or at least I imagine we're all familiar with those dreams where you'll kind of find yourself in an extremely public place and you're kind of completely underprepared. Like, it's, I think it starts when you're, you're a kid and you sort of, you know, you, you, you're in your pyjamas or whatever. But this kind of sort of happened to me at the weekend. I went to a festival, local festival, called Tea on the Farm, which was great fun. Lovely little closed festival. And uh, one of the bands I happened to know were playing and they said, oh, Nick, could you do the sound? I, I haven't done live sound for a number of years, shall we say. And I said, yeah, sure, no problem. I'd had a couple of drinks and thought it would be fine. So I go up to the tower and I discover it's a, it's, it's a, a Yamaha LS9 desk. Um, and I have never mixed on a digital desk. It's always been analog will for me. And I had that kind of, that moment where you think, oh man, what am I going to do now? I don't know how to change anything. This is just a complete nightmare. And I just wondered whether or not uh, um, anybody else had shared in that kind of experience. Because I know live is very, it's a, it's a, you know, there's just no stopping it. Once the schedule is rolling, you've just got to get on with it. Rich, I know you've played some big gigs. Um, have you ever had that moment where you just think, oh my God, what am I going to do? 
I have because I, I have a dream also oh. where I'm on stage with a band and I have absolutely no idea about any of the songs and they go one two three four <laughs> and you know it's at Wembley Arena or something you know. <laughs> I have that exact same trait. <laughs> Do you? Well, I, I you see it's, it's, my band, aren't it's you? very common. I must be in the band. Yeah, I'm the keyboard player standing there without any trousers on. Rich. <laughs> <laughs> um, only after the fact. I mean, I can go back and tell you some of the loudest, most glaring errors I've ever made on stage. But, but you know, because they stick with me somehow, um, though I'm sure they didn't stick with anybody else nearly as much. But I don't have bad dreams about gigs. <laughs> Do you have, so I don't know. Well, that's great. I mean, I suppose that's a sign of your preparedness and kind of the fact had, that you're so in the zone. It just doesn't... Had I been in the position you were in and faced with a digital console I'd never seen before to mix a live show for the first time after a couple of drinks, I think I can sympathize <laughs> with how you might have felt at that moment. Well, I, I'm, I must admit, I am over-dramatizing it slightly. Um, how could I not? Um, there was there was the, uh, the 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 system guy was there and he was kind of pressing the button. I say, look, how do I get to the EQ for this channel? And once I got the hang of it, it was okay. But uh, but you know those things those things are kind of quite tricky. It's a great desk actually, Yamaha LS9. I don't know if you've checked that. While we're on the subject of Yamaha and they're our sponsors, amazing digital console. Uh, even though I was unfamiliar with it, when I w- when I become familiar with it, <laughs> I'm sure it would be great. I don't know, uh, Dave Spears. I'm sure you must have had one of those things. It's like you know, I don't know. You look down, you're about to hit the first snare note, and you realise someone has taken your drum skin off or something like that. Anything yeah. like that? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> all of the above. Yeah. Yeah. All of them. Uh, no, I've been so drunk that I fell through my drum kit once. That was pretty embarrassing. Oh well, um, yeah. <laughs> Things like uh, gear not turning up at gigs. Oh, yeah. Was pretty rough. That was very rough. That was a whole morning blagging gear and reprogramming the entire set and then begging the artist who was brilliant about it, actually, because half the show was sequenced and half of it was just sort of straightforward rock and roll that just kind of begging her to let me be in control. So as I kind of pulled various bits and pieces up into the sequence, they were doing something constructive. <laughs> um, that sounds quite terrifying actually I, I don't think I could cope with that one that was pretty grief striking yeah that was that was in Switzerland bizarrely enough and uh, it was uh, well, you can date it because that's when the JD800 came out and we were touring with the JD800 and the tour manager had insisted that we actually hire in a JD800 in various countries and it had literally just come out so loads of countries didn't have them because they were pretty popular and I knew it was going to be a disaster, but he wouldn't listen. Uh, probably worst one in terms of software was the, probably actually the launch of the original Imposca. We did a big thing. What was that big store in the basement of Virgin on Oxford Street? We did a big um, demo there. All right. And like, was that sound control? Loads of people had been invited, and it was loads of people had turned up. And uh, our distributor at the time, I don't know what had happened, but there was supposed to be a couple of big plasma tellies so that I could go through some things. And I was really looking forward to it, and none of the tellies turned up. So there were oh, no. people in the audience and me on a laptop. Well, this where nobody could see you anything. You can't see this, but, yeah, exactly. So in the end, I just invited them up on stage. <laughs> oh, well, I suppose, great. yeah, if you'd like to come up and t- take take t- oh, that's that sounds terrible. The one moment where I really did get freaked out was when we took Wakeman to Nam to do the mini monster 
and he'd he traveled separately to us obviously he went first class and we went coach of different planes and stuff and uh when he turned up so i'm on the, the boo that uh digi design just doing all the kind of last minute checks and whatnot and wakeman turned up with both arms in plaster and i I kid you not i looked down and my first thought was oh shit are we insured (laughs) oh man and i looked at him and he just peeled the plaster off and went got you (laughs) (laughs) that's a goody that's a good one my knees turned to jelly and went it was too easy rick it was too easy oh man that sounds terrifying Mark, I'm guessing there might be um, might be something in your library of experiences that uh, that might qualify for this this anecdote. Um, uh, yeah, probably lots. I mean, I can totally relate to the whole. I mean, the thing when you're really into music technology, you want the first thing that comes out and the best and greatest and and the latest version in your keyboard and all that sort of stuff. And I have to say, and in my touring experience, I very, very quickly learned that you just don't do that. And, you know, when I was ringing people up to hire a K2000 and saying, I need a version uh, version 3 K2000 and drawing a complete blank on it, sort of discovering that actually it's better to program everything for version 1 because if somebody's even got a K2000, <laughs> it's yeah. probably got that operating system. Let's not it. be on the bleeding Guitaring. edge with that stuff, so, is it? Yeah. So it's like use the most obvious or the most popular kind of equipment and use the basic operating system and don't try and do anything clever and you'll kind of be okay when you roll into Mexico without your gear. <laughs> so, uh, mm. Zen yeah, artist in the chat room says he knocked over a Gibson 335 on a stand and broke the headstock. Oh, God. Oh, was it called Lucille by any chance? No, I, certainly. <laughs> I hope not. I was going to just say one more thing. I remember playing a gig when I, I just walked onto stage and all the batteries fell out of my battery-powered keyboard on the floor and rolled off the front of the stage. <laughs> <laughs> and I just got into the... And I had no spare batteries, and I'm not into the idea of faking it. So I was just like, I'm not prepared to fake it. So I kind of was literally kind of crawling around on the floor looking for the batteries it was ever so embarrassing <laughs> joe are you are you a musical performer as well as a coder or is it um purely uh no i, I went to college for music I, I was a music synthesis major at uh, berkeley in boston back in the day oh cool so i have a little i have a little bit of performance under my belt but uh i think you guys have played on bigger stages than than me um, but there was one back in, say, 19, oh, I don't know, 86 or so. I was in a band and we played a bunch of covers, Prince and, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And we were we were playing Jump by Van Halen. And I had the synth part and I was playing that and I was, you know, the bump, bump, bump. You were the star of the waiting. show at that point. I was the star for those, what, seven, five seconds. <laughs> but uh, I was waiting for the drums to come in. You know, the ba 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 ba, and the drummer wasn't on his throne. I don't know where he was, so I had to do a quick little uh, sus four to major chord, you know, <laughs> uh, and then play it over like three or four times before he finally got ready. Did he? Did he come in on time in the end? He did. Yes, oh, well, excellent drum. It all worked ex- out. It all worked out fine. Yep. 
Excellent. Funnily enough, the same band um, who I saw, uh, who I did mixed on Saturday night, I went to see last night. There was a, a festival down the road in a place called Chipping Sodbury, of all places. You have to go through, uh, and I'm not kidding, a place called Old Sodbury to get to Chipping Sodbury. Yeah. And the scrapyard is a relative of mine in Old Sodbury. Is that true? Amazing. Yep. That's absolutely true. <laughs> the same band were playing yesterday, uh, last night, in, a, uh, in the town square, which has got six public houses in it, on the back of a truck. And th- this is a big public square, right? And they just had a, a couple of pairs of Mackie self-powered speakers, and it was absolutely kicking it out of there. Astonishing. They didn't have an LS9 desk, though. It was just a little uh, self-powered mixer, I think. But anyway, I, I, that's, total, that's got nothing to do with anything at all, frankly. But I thought I'd just throw it in there anyway. I'd like to live in Old Sodbury. It does look nice. Does look nice. I just think it would be great on the postal address. Dave Spears, Old Sodbury. Yeah. No? <laughs> You'd have to change your name to sort of Git, wouldn't you, as well? Just to kind of Old Git, Old Sodbury. <laughs> and you'd have a house. You could have a house in Old Sodbury called something, uh, I don't know. What do you think? Grum- Dun Grumpy. Dun Grumpin. <laughs> or still Grumpin. There's a place around here called Toker's Green, which I quite fancy living. Uh, there, uh, this might not, this might, you might not all get this, but uh, on the way between Old Sodbury and Chipping Sodbury, there's a pub called the Dog Inn, and I kid you not. <laughs> I, I won't go into what the ramifications are of that. You'll have to figure that yourself. Just look up dogging on the internet, and you'll know. What, you'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I did have a big car park. Anyway, that's uh, that's really got nothing to do with anything. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, speaking of dogs, what a perfect link. I think I've got something to play for that. Let me just play this a second. Let's hear it for the small dogs over there. Hello, small dogs. Yes. Yeah. And the mediums. Hello, mediums. And the big boys over there. Yeah. Okay. Now, we actually don't know what kind of music dogs like. I'll stop there because it's a little bit of a, um, an unpleasant recording. But uh, believe it or not, that was the sound of Laurie Anderson of O oh Superman fame on the 6th of June uh, on the steps of the Sydney Opera House, no less, um, uh, who was performing a piece for dogs. Uh, hundreds of canines and their owners showed up at the famous site Saturday morning for a 20-minute high-pitched performance called Music for Dogs, uh, most of it inaudible to human ears. Yo, Anderson had yelled from behind a keyboard, beautiful work dogs because they were howling and stuff. Uh, she also later went on to say, the dogs were grooving, declared Anderson. They were uninhibited. <laughs> now, the four-piece band with assorted right. instruments, including so the, do you think this was uh, some kind of jokey art piece based on the Emperor's New Clothes concept? Because I have to, I have to admit. I mean, she seems she's a smart she's a smart woman, and um, it's the sort of thing that you could imagine her having a bit of a laugh about. Or do you think this is really serious? Basically, she did a piece of music for dogs. Didn't know what it was sounding like, just to took a guess. I don't know, Rich. Are you familiar with Anderson's work? A little bit. She did that great <laughs> Oh Superman thing. I, and- yeah, I know. Um, I think that she's serious about this. I mean, I, yeah, I mean to the to the extent that. I don't think she's got it confused with any of Beethoven's nine symphonies, but <laughs> she's serious, I think, in her motivation to try to w- gain some insight as to what entertainment consists of for in the dog world. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just read it and I was just thinking, is this for real? It just seems like a funny, uh, a funny way to, well, a funny flying halfway around the world, presumably uh, paid for to play a gig to dogs, just seems that somehow 
amusing. Dave Spears? They should have let the dogs off the lead, shouldn't they? And let the dogs... Oh, shit. That doesn't sound good. I like it. I'll have whatever he's having. That sounds like an RME sound card died. I love that. It has. Sound. It has. That was one of us. I want to hear that thing. I want to hear that thing broken up into 32 steps. That in was. Joe's, uh, was that your RME sound card, Joan? There you go. Yeah, it did. It died. It Didn't died. that happen to you before? Oh, was there, God, was yeah. there, did it, did it let the smoke out? Oh my goodness. Well, I can still hear you. Oh, word up. That's gone. What Oops. was it? What was wow. it that died? The RME. Died. What, you mean to tell me he identified the correct sound card? Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I've always told you I've got golden ears. Well, I used to have before I heard that. <laughs> I, I am bowing in your general direction. Oh, yeah, we've got that as a sample, haven't you? I want that. I want that. I, uh... <laughs> Somebody said, in the chat room, said they thought it was a Vuvuzela. <laughs> <laughs> Some kind of Vuvuzela. Wow, that's really crazy. Um, I, I've forgotten what my train of thought was now. I bet you've forgotten what yours was as well. I was um, thinking that they just should have let the dogs off to lead because either they would have attacked the musicians or they'd have just all legged it. All weed on the stage. Really entertaining, yeah, yeah. But the poor dogs... Then they could have, actually, though, they could have, if they let all the dogs off the lead, they'd have run round and all the owners would have been running round and they could have just played the theme tune from Benny Hill. <laughs> for the whole thing and that that would have been an art piece in itself i don't know it, it it's uh, this is a bit of a silly piece really uh i don't know mark could you think she's got a point or do you think this is she's just having a bit of a laugh i think she's got to be well, I, i'm in context i think she's barking mad <laughs> and a Oy, um, very good. And I don't know. I mean, surely she she will know what she's composing. You could buy one of those um, bat listeners from Radio Shack, right? Which kind of pitches uh, the <laughs> high pitched sounds that bats bats make down to a more audible tone. So she could probably yeah, I wondered about listen that. Listen through one of those and work out what she's actually composing. Surely. Yeah. No, I think you're right. Yeah. Or, or she could write the music and then just transpose it up like seven octaves or Quiggers something. In the chat, Quiggers in the chat room so, says so, it would have been mass humping, actually, is what would have happened. So what about <laughs> so what about the sound system? I mean, does she know that the sound system has the bandwidth to cope? Exactly. I mean, can you imagine? Things? She specified a sound, a sound system that was capable of going up to sort of 96 kilohertz. You know, this. The, right. I don't know. It all seems a bit... A bit um, bit bogus to me she would have had to have had a sound card that could do that and she'd have had to have known that the filters weren't set low enough to wipe exactly. those frequencies out and blah yeah, blah yeah blah, blah. Loads of th- joe i'm 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 hoping you're not going to say that you uh went to the college or you were in the band or anything at this event no no but i'm reading a, a review and the ap reported that a jack russell terrier named oliver made a break for the stage dragging his owner <laughs> Jesus, what was his owner? A leprechaun or something? So he, he must have been able to hear something. <laughs> was, was, was he bearing his fangs at the time? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> or was he just getting ready to make love? Who knows? I do have one minor dog-related audio diversion here. Oh, um, yeah. Go on, then. Niall used to have a Dalmatian. And um, during certain sessions, when certain instruments would play in certain registers, that dog would be motivated to sing the blues. And I mean, howling. Cool. Like, like, and you could 
you could play with it. Like once you identified what it was that was bringing that about in him, you could mess with like one of the things was saxophone and our friend Bill Holloman, who plays the hell out of the saxophone, um, could play certain notes in certain registers that would cause this dog to howl. But interestingly, the other things that would cause it were things like harmonica, right? especially bent notes and things. And so I came to the very, very under-researched conclusion that it has something to do with complex harmonic series in the high registers, but it doesn't necessarily consist just of notes we can't hear. It, I think it's more to do with the tonal texture. You need to be a consultant. Laurie Anderson needs to call you as a consultant. <laughs> you you are qualified, Rich. Fully qualified. Absolutely. It sounds like you know more about this than she does. <laughs> well, for example, I once went to a, a banjo <laughs> festival at which the final performance was 50 harmonica players on the stage at the same time. And uh, I imagine the dogs must have gone nuts. I don't remember. I wasn't thinking about it back then. But, uh, wow. <laughs> There would be a good test case. Shane King in the <laughs> chat room says he used to talk, torment a friend's dog with his moog. He hated a high-res LFO filter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think. I'm sure there's countless dog-related puns linked to synthesis technologies and terms, but I cannot think of any at the moment, I'm afraid. It, remi- it reminds me of a few months ago when I was opening tins of cat food and then I recorded the opening a tin of cat food and the cat can tell the difference between the real tin of cat food and the recording, if you remember. Oh, yes, that's that right. Conversation. I remember that, so, yeah. So I guess I need to specify better speakers for our house, perhaps. Perhaps so. <laughs> well, anyway, um, that was uh, Laurie Anderson's dog for music uh i'm not sure if there's going to be any more encores uh or, or whatever i don't know but uh we'll we'll soon find out uh right. and we've also got the morph Wiz app which of which there's scant information so perhaps we should do the the gary newman seven up ad pitch to begin with and see where it takes us so let me just play you a little uh section selection of gary newman's seven up ad pitch tunes <laughs> Don't wanna be no automaton Nick and the mouth with a sensation There's only one with stimulation Come get down and set ignition Pull out all the stops and pull on a seven up Pull out all the stops and pull on a seven up That was the sound of Gary Newman um, doing a, uh, he, he did a pitch for a jingle for a Seven Up commercial in the uh, in, this, in 1982. Uh, there's a uh, this came from Waveformless Blogspot, which is a great blog uh, on synth and audio and stuff. Uh, this can be found on YouTube. Uh, it says in 1992, American-based Seven Up got in touch with the UK agency to get a 30-second tune made by someone who was happening at the time to advertise their drink. So the agency contacted uh, Gary and offered him 10 grand, and this is 1982. That's a pretty decent amount of money deal. So he recorded three pieces of music with lyrics supplied by them. And when the recordings were sent to the Americans, they had not heard any music like it, and they were expecting something in a punk style as that had sort of arrived. So the recordings were never used, and they just sort of got turfed up recently and, and posted on YouTube. Um, I don't know. It's, uh, it, it sort of pains me to think that um, that Gary, who looked so um, disdainful and anti anti establishment and kind of otherworldly, was doing uh, soft drink commercials at that point in his career. I don't know. Are you disappointed, or do you think it's cool? Dave Spears, do you a Newman fan? Does this change your 
opinion? Or what did you think of the music for starters? I have to say, my headphones, there was so much bo- really, really low bottom end in there that uh, it was kind of quite difficult to listen to. It doesn't come across Skype, I don't think. <clears throat> yeah, no, strange. I did listen to it and thought, hmm, I suppose 10 grand in 1982. I would have uh, made yeah. you think, mm. Yes, please. Yes, mm. <laughs> I'll do that. Thank you very much, sir. I'll do um, it now for 10 grand. Less, yeah. <laughs> A lot yeah. less. <laughs> <laughs> if 7 Up happen to be listening, we're looking for more sponsors, up. yeah. Um, very Garen, yeah. very Garen Newman. Do you hear the, the fretless bass in there as well? Yeah, it's strange. Um. A question, really. I've, I've kind of, I've just put this video of a track I've done, which is a kind of Mickey take of this era, up on my Facebook, and there's been a fair few comments. And I was saying that I liked what I liked about the Gary Newman and John Fox stuff was this kind of coldness to it all. It was all very stark. And a couple of people have come on saying, actually, I always thought Gary Newman sounded really warm. Hmm. So votes, please. Cold or warm? Hmm. I don't know. Musically. Musically, I think current. maybe it's because I kind of came from Stevie Wonder and all of that. So for me, it was right. very stark and cold. Grey, cold. Yeah, come I on. Would, I would cold. agree with cold. Thank you. So we've got a couple of Americans on the panel. Um, do you think that would have gone down very well on on primetime <laughs> television advertising Seven Up <laughs> in nineteen eighty two? It definitely sounded like him. So I'm trying to think. So as as growing up in the U.S., you know, I knew the Pleasure Principle. And that's like the only Gary Newman album that I really, you know, had any contact with. So I knew that sound and it sounded like him. So I would have made that connection. So if Gary Newman is sounds cold, which I agree he does, and I want a cold seven up, then it would have exactly. maybe worked. Oh, I see where you could. You should yes. work for an ad agency, Joe. That would be there the perfect go. pitch. That would have been, you should have gone over <laughs> yeah. and pitched that tune. You should have gone over with the demo and, you know, they should have hired you to pitch it and then he would have got the gig. The problem is it I was 12. Yeah. yeah, they might not have taken you so seriously then, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I suppose it also raises the question of, you know, would you, would you do that sort of gig? I mean, do you think it detracts from your you know the the coolness of of you as a band you know there's some things that you should just leave well alone and wait until you need the money or do you think you should just grab it all while you can i suppose these days it sort of feels like there's not many opportunities to make make money out of the music business so perhaps you should embrace it with all with uh, you know every every possibility but then i suppose there's overexposure i mean do you think i don't know do you think that was uh, that was a good demo mark do you think you should have got the gig or do you think you should have left it alone i presume you got paid anyway for the pitch so i really liked it I really, really liked it. And I remember that Gary Newman did the... He actually did the... Or they used his music for the Sinclair C5 advert. Can you remember that little pedal car thing? Oh, wow. oh did they? And, and well, that, yeah. that, 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 is, that is a perfect because it's like, you know, futuristic and... Exactly. So I can... And, and for some reason, I don't know why, but that sound reminds me of Ultra and Neon, the Ultra and Neon, the Electro Girls from the Mighty Boosh. That can, that thing they do over their face with the like the down and across thing. You know, I don't know. I mean? No, I'm not familiar with those two characters. I haven't seen the Mighty and, Boosh for ages, but and uh, so I can imagine myself like in my C5 driving along or pedaling along, drinking my can of Seven Up with with the Electro Girls next to me on a tandem or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah listening to that yeah i like it i i, I think it's cool rich cold yeah. or warm 
uh, in general, Gary Newman represents a sort of a cool, cold vibe to me. And uh, I enjoyed the commercials, and I'm surprised. I'm wondering if in 82 they were perhaps a year too early for this market. But other than that, I don't understand today, nor have I ever understood the thinking and motivations of your typical ad agency guy. And uh, going to your question about whether it's cooler now because of the state of the current business, I don't know. We we did commercials if, right from the jump when I started working with Nile 23 or 22 years ago. Um, we started doing commercials. So, oh yeah, uh, well. we've done a bunch of them. I, I don't. I'm not worried about oversaturation. I'm not worried. I mean, it wasn't perceivably a band thing. In other words, you didn't look at the commercial and go, "Oh, that's them." Because it was the underscore to a product. It was a product commercial. It wasn't yeah. like, you know, oh, this is Nile Rogers. It was, you know, it was subtler than that. But it's some actually, of the commercials did very well. It's actually really hard to do underscore, particularly if you've got a sync. When you're talking like a 30-second or 40-second spot, you've got to cram it all in. And the, it's a really quite a, a challenging exercise in the stuff that I've done in the past. Um, I've had a couple of goes at pitches for these sort of things. And there are a few people around here who, who do that sort of thing. I mean, it's a, not an easy it's not an easy job. I mean, you have to really adjust. Yeah, it's like uber pop, isn't it? It has to be so distilled that there's nothing wasted, but yet there's still room to breathe. It's very, very, very difficult. I don't know, Dave, have you ever done any music for commercials and had to, you know, or, or just 30, 40 second stings where it all has to get in there, has to say everything immediately? Yeah, I did some eye dents for a US TV channel. I can't even remember what that was called now. It was quite hip at the time, but then I think it got bought and they were never used. I did them with David Gamson. The screwy politic guy, you know. Oh wow! <clears throat> and that was, yeah, no, that was brilliant. That was where the more saw, I think, came from. The, the agency said, "Yeah, well, he needs more saw." More saw. S O R E S O A R S A W. I don't know. <laughs> Actually, the, I, I mean, the only time I because I, I have the last one I did was um, I did a little sting for the beginning of our our new kind of iPad iPhone app um, reviews thing, and that. You know that was t- t- bloody ages just to try and get something that would la- that would only be ten fifteen seconds yet still have a kind of journey beginning and end and a sort of definite point at which it finished so that you could s- stop with the splash screen. I find that I mean I enjoy it, but it, t- it always takes such a long time because I'm so slow at these things. I wish I'd written that thing that goes bam 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 bam, which I you know I that was on Channel Four. That was David Dundas, the I, I pulled my blue jeans on. But yeah. he, he just received billions of pounds in royalties from that because it was used all oh. the time, even though it was only a few seconds long, right? Every yeah. time they played Four it, notes. they had to give him whatever it was, yeah. Wow, that's the gig. They don't do that anymore, I can tell you. Oh, ironically, around this time, Shane King says in the chat room, there was a 7-Up commercial that sampled Thomas Dolby's Hyperactive. <clears throat> the oh, yeah. I think the, the big hit sound, the... I don't know it. I'm not familiar with it, but uh, with the with the the Seven Up ad, right? Well, anyway, that's the, that's Newman Seven Up. Um, let's have a quick look. Let's, should we have a look at the Sonic Charge thing? Did everybody have a chance to look at this? Is yeah, that the thing with lots of squares floating around? Yeah, the one that generated um, drum patterns.
There's just a few patterns from the uh, Sonic Charge Patternarium, which is kind of looks like it's a flash-based front end for what they say. It says, what you're experiencing above are computer-generated patterns for Utonic, which is their uh, drum voice stroke pattern sequencer created through principles of evolution. All the sounds and rhythms you are hearing are produced by algorithms running on our servers. Even the names are made up by random, uh, which is entirely understandable if you look at the names. Think of Patternarium as a giant collaborative patch randomizer. What you do is you just say, play me something, and you go, no, I don't like that. And it just sort of refines the algorithms based on what people do and don't like. And if you like any one of them in particular, you can then save it as a a kind of sequence stroke uh, sound file that you can then load into your version of Utonic, which is a 99-buck app plug... um, Drum plugin. I use that actually Sonic Charge. I use one of their plugins, it's Synplant, which I think is absolutely brilliant. And in fact, I noticed recently there was an interview with Brian Eno, uh, and he had he was sitting in front of a computer and he had two instances of Synplant open. I mean, good company. Anyone get excited about this, or is it just boring old hat? Good marketing, anyway, at the very least. Let's go to you, Joe, because I'm sure you can appreciate the uh, technology and the uh, and what's going on behind the scenes, or maybe you can't. Uh, no, I can appreciate it. I can appreciate it. Um, you know, I, I like these kinds of things. You know, this is a good example. And even if it was an iPad or iPhone app, I find um, a lot of times I'll download these apps or use something like this online. And, you know, you just use it for a little bit. It's kind of a neat toy. Maybe, maybe I'll plug it into something and sample a loop or run it through a machine drum or something like that. But a lot of these things just don't stick with me. I know what you mean, actually. The, um, I've, I've, I'm not really much of a pattern-based guy, as I've said before, so the, the, the Utonic thing doesn't kind of necessarily flow over. But I think there's, it does make some pretty interesting sounds. And one thing about them uh, that they do really nicely is they've got these little micro reverberant spaces in there that have a lot of character and that really kind of open up the sounds. If you listen to those on headphones, some of those patterns, there's some really nice spatial stuff going on in there, um, which I'm guessing is also randomly generated. I mean, um, Mark, do you ever kind of feel the need for random generation or do you prefer to be in total charge and control? I love random generation and I've sort of actually come to grips with the fact that at 47 years old where, where I thought I was in total charge and control there's actually no control at all <laughs> I'm just a reaction to my past so anything that's anything that anybody's created in a computer that's a reaction to the past and is just generating random stuff I think is brilliant because I think most of the most of the new directions and happy accidents come from those kind of random generation kind of things. But having flicked through that, um, I didn't. I think, I think I just I like the the idea of it. The graphics of it were cool and everything. But I think for me that some of those sounds sounded a little bit too like sort of drum machines or drum patterns that I've heard too many times before. And I wanted it to do something a bit different. Uh, what it was doing so while i agree with you that lots of those little kind of in-between sounds were kind of cool it would be nice if some of the bass the basic drum sounds themselves or percussive sounds were a little bit different to what they are or i mean i guess i don't know you uh presumably the package that it comes with you could feed some different sounds into it maybe or something yes I'm and not- then if I knew I could separate some of it as well, if I knew that when I put it into the sequencing package, 
that if I just like the top line or yeah oh yeah you can do that for sure it, I could you know I could deconstruct it and just keep the bits I liked and uh, so I didn't actually hear anything where I liked everything enough to go oh wow that's cool I could use that I just sort of oh no that does work you could definitely do that that's that's definitely the case you see I couldn't and this might be this might speak to the effectiveness of this thing or it might just speak to what an idiot I am but I couldn't figure out how to interact with this thing at all other than to play what's there. Oh, yeah, that's all it is, really. It's purely a generative process, and you just kind of go, yeah, I like that one, don't like that one, like that one, don't like that one. Actually, I like that one, and I'd like to save it. You can save it and then load it into your version of the drum machine that you, if you already own it. I think there's a, a link to download the demo as well. I mean, that's purely it, really. But it's it's it seems like quite an interesting way to showcase what the what the the thing is capable of but using something that's quite i mean it is very pr based but it seemed like quite a nice way of doing it rather than just programmed patterns of you know remakes of of, of stuff we might have heard before but as mark said it's not necessarily that new but did you did you did you dig any of the actual sounds i mean the rhythms may not have been um, particularly exciting i just spent my entire it. time feeling confused about what I'm supposed to be enjoying about this thing. No, seriously. I'm not being flippant here because it didn't sound bad and it looks kind of cool and everything. But evaluation-wise, I'm kind of with Joe on this. Um, Would I spend any significant amount of time using this thing once I ran through, I don't know, 15 or 20 of these little patterns that they've created? Now I'm just I there really is no other way to interact with this thing. Oh yeah, no, the point is is all this is all the application on the web was doing was showcasing the patterns and sounds that the the full product that if you downloaded it you've got a, a an AU or a VST instrument that you could then program your own beats and load those sounds into. That's really all it was doing. It's like random pattern generating for that sound engine. But then if you had owned a version of Utonic, which you may well want to because you like the sounds it can make, you can load those patterns and sounds into it and uh, use them or not, if you see what I mean. So it, or, it, it was like a pattern generator for a specific um, instrument. But if it was given um, and, a sort and, and, of thumbs up, it if it was given spawn a, other patterns, that would be the basis for spawning other patterns. Yeah? I think that's right. Yeah, I think. Let me just yeah. uh, double check that. It says uh, our servers are regularly spawning new generations of a thousand unique patterns, each one being the cross product of two other patterns picked at random. The higher votes certain pattern <coughs> receives, the more likely it is to get picked and bear offspring into the next generation. It still sounds quite sinister. Sounds sinister, doesn't it? The only other thing I can say to this is: Did anyone own a DX7? And how did you manage your sound library after you'd pressed random in the Dr. T editor like a thousand times and you'd got 20,000 patches? <laughs> you know, like it gets to the point where you, when you're sifting through this stuff that it becomes completely unmanageable. So I don't, as a tool, that would, I mean, being that I'm completely disorganized anyway, I don't, I don't know that it appeals to me, that aspect of it. I don't want somebody to generate a thousand no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I suppose even though you might participate in this, you're not actually going to necessarily see the fruits of your labour because if it's generating a thousand patches randomly and you've you voted on, you know, I'd say fifty of them if you could be bothered, then when would you get to hear those um, those children? You know, the, the spawnings of your taste. It, it sounds like you you never would. You'd just be ran. In fact, wasn't there a synth recently that we did we did a review of that just had a it had something like five or 10,000 patches and you just hit go and it would just go here's one and you just randomly select patches from it just there was no way to program it as far as I call it just threw up a random patch was it the same guys yeah 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 Simplant 
Ah, it wasn't. Uh, no, it wasn't in Simplant that that worked. I don't think, but it was. Maybe it was a Simplant player. Or, ah, okay. Well, they've obviously got a big thing about um, generative processes. You know, so I suppose it's almost like biomechanics happening inside. Uh, well, not biomechanics, but uh, hybrid science working inside computing with a little bit of human interaction to kind of make it work. So from you know, from, from a developer's perspective, you know, a lot of times we'll come up with these crazy algorithms, you know, that we think are really neat. And they're a lot of fun to program and to hone and to get to work like this. But then, you know, when it really gets out there, you kind of find that, you know, yeah, it's really cool and it works. But in this case, you know, how music, how musically useful is it for more than, you know, one particular genre of music or whatever. So mm. my, my, my hat goes off to the, to the folks that created it, but it's not for me personally. I was just thinking about how we perceive music and the way we create music is really, really, really narrowly filtered by our perception. So before, I think it was Stockhausen created that piece of music that caused a riot but before anybody had heard anything like that, when people heard that music, it was so upsetting that it caused a riot in the in the uh, place where he showcased it. I think it was Stockhausen. Um, and kind of until people have heard some of the new sounds and used them in the context of music, when you hear things like this, you just go, no, 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 no. And people want things that sound like things that are already there. And so... I mean, sometimes these things are just a little bit too random and maybe mm. they need to be just creating variations of, you know, the Fender Rhodes piano. Well, here's, here's, a, thought. here's, a, here's a thought to throw into the pot. So, you know, we all, um, you know, occasionally become exasperated with the level and quality of uh, the popular music that is churned out by, you know, on, on the major radio shows and what have you. What happens if we were le- we left it to be uh, algorithmically generated and voted on the stuff that we thought, yeah, we like the sound of that? Do you think we'd end up in the same place, or do you think it would be something completely different? What's that? Um, if an infinite number of monkeys were with an infinite right. number of typewriters, <laughs> but right. all so I'm saying is, I- I, all I'm saying is, you know, people supply us with, you know, the, it's the, the lowest common denominator, and if we provide the lowest common denominator for this uh, self-generative software to do its thing, would we end up with the same sort of stuff as what we already get? Because you know, it's. I it's- think the answer to that is we would end up with the same sort of stuff, and that's partly because human beings can't be bothered to go out there and do what you're suggesting, which is to click on review things. So I think they've worked out that something like less than the total user base on Amazon actually review books, and out of the one percent that review books, in the top hundred reviewers, it's the same ten people doing. Oh, really? <laughs> out of millions and millions of users. So, I mean, when we go to Amazon and we kind of look to see if a book's any good or not, we're actually only taking that based on a very, very small percentage of the world's population's viewpoint about that book. So I guess, you know, the people that kind of decide which direction music is going in or review music or vote on music or whatever is probably, it's probably actually larger than the number doing books, but it's still... You know, we we kind of default to like thinking, oh yeah, that's okay, and really, you know, don't take any action to do anything to change it. So I think I would say that we'll probably end up driven by the the very small percentage of people that want to actually 
be making those decisions. And what's interesting, uh, uh, Quiggers in the chat room, voter apathy is rife in all walks of life. And that's, uh, that's actually probably quite, quite a, a, an important <laughs> point, really. Um, and oh, Matt's, uh, Matt underscore C82 in the chat room says, uh, the drum machine in Reactor that uses cellular automation is interesting too. I've not come across that. I'll have to check that one out. That sounds like an interesting thing. But I, I think we're heading towards a kind of uh, wrapping up the show. But I want to say thank you very much to all our live chatters. I want to say thank you very much also to the show sponsor yamaha.co.uk go check out what we talked about earlier sonicstate.com forward slash yamaha and and now it only remains to me to thank my guests i want to uh, thank joe zobiku for joining us from earsmack.com ipad developer very interesting to hear your thoughts on the whole development process and uh, earsmack.com is where you can find thank you very much uh, for for joining us your first time i hope we haven't extended your lunch break too long no 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 it was it was my pleasure i really enjoyed talking with everybody thank you Great. Well, maybe uh, maybe you'd like to come back on a, a, another time in the future. I'll put you on the distribution list if you're free, because it sounds like the time zones might work out. Excellent. Cool. And also want to thank uh, Rich Hilton, who's on the other side of the pond, uh, myspace.com forward slash Hilstonius. I'm guessing, Rich, you've probably got a hard day slogging in the studio ahead of you, or perhaps perhaps not. Uh, it won't be a hard day slog, but I do have things to do. Um, so, And I have something else I have to do tonight. So it's all good. It'll Excellent. be a nice day beautiful here today thank you very much for joining us a pleasure as always thank you thank you and i uh, will say thank you very much to dave spears from g4software.com uh, i hope uh, that uh, that horrible noise didn't mean that uh, it's a too expensive uh, <laughs> a breakage for you and your speakers are okay because you've got some nice speakers haven't you do you think they survived the noise oh, there's an awful lot of dogs seem to have appeared <laughs> outside the house <laughs> They're expecting a performance. I'll just turn it back on in a minute. Uh, no, that's probably expensive, but hey-ho, there oh, it goes. Oh, well, I'm sorry to hear that. Anyway, good fun. Good fun as usual. G4software.com. And as I said, I'm enjoy- I've been enjoying the Imposca 2, and I intend to look at it a little more closely over the coming weeks and days. So, uh, and that, all that remains to, to, to do is to say thank you very much also to Mark Tinley, uh, likebeing.com. You can find out what he's up to. Thanks for joining us, Mark. It's been a pleasure. I'm glad you could make it. You're very welcome. Am I meant, should I say anything else? <laughs> you, you, you can say as little or as much as you, as you like, as is your want. I'm going to zoom off to London in a minute and go and uh, get some coaching for my transport autism project. Ah, okay. Is that you going on your bit, big fat motorcycle? No, I don't, I don't think I could handle sitting on that for 50 miles. <laughs> <laughs> that single cylinder blatting away at, uh, you know, whatever it is, 2,000 cubic uh, millimeters it's probably a bit too much well, isn't more it? like about 140 db i'd probably be death by the time i got there wow okay <laughs> well have a lovely time mark and once again thank you everybody for joining us that was sonic talk number 178 cool. oh yeah and i've got the dave smith mofo keyboard which i'm going to be uh, reviewing in the next few days i saw Ooh. that in the vid- in, in the um it's got a nice bottom end actually chat video it looks really cool, it's perfect.